this non-judgmental noticing. And then the second of the three components of self-compassion that's so important is what's called common humanity. Really getting it, really, really taking our seat in the reality of the fact that we are not alone. We are not alone with our flaws and foibles and fears and challenges. We are not alone with our pain. We are not alone with our difficulty. That's part of what it is to be alive. We're, we're, we're all of us like this. The particular constellation of difficulties, you know, are different at different times for different one of us. But no matter what your constellation of difficulties is, there are literally thousands of other people going through something similar. And so reminding the mind of that common humanity is really, really helpful for moving it out of that hypervigilant, frightened place and into a place where we can actually offer some care. So mindfulness is, is being aware of the difficulty. And another thing to say about mindfulness, besides that it takes us out of denial and we're noticing the thing non-judgmentally, on the one hand, it takes us out on denial. And on the other hand, mindfulness does not allow us to go into rumination, into big identifying storytelling Thing, you know, obsessively uh, fusing with the difficulty. Mindfulness, like we were just practicing in this in the half hour before we before the talk, talk my talking started. Mindfulness is dropping into here and now. It's like what's happening right now? How does my body feel right now? What's happening for me emotionally right now, visually? What am I hearing? What am I feeling, smelling, tasting right now? And that's all, just this much. Mindfulness allows us to put down the story and catch our breath. So mindfulness, common humanity, and then the third aspect of, of all forms of self-compassion, well, of all forms of compassion is kindness, and all forms of self-compassion is self-kindness. May I hold myself in kindness. Just that reminder. I've got my own back. May I accept myself as I am. Perfect? No, not at all. Part of the fabric of the universe? Absolutely. May I hold myself in kindness. So I want to take this general instruction with mindfulness and, and common humanity and self-kindness and direct it toward difficult emotions. And I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, three techniques um, for probably about 10 minutes, and then I'm going to lead us in a practice. And what I want to tell you is, as, as we move the 10 minutes through to that practice, is that when we start the practice, I'm going to invite you or ask you to think of a difficult situation in your life. And not the hardest thing, 
You know, there are certain things going on for me personally on the world stage that have been totally dysregulating. Um, so not, not the hardest thing, and it could be in your own personal life, but something difficult enough that you will feel a little stress as you think about it. As our sort of our clay for working with these practices. Okay, so so just to hedge you up, that's that's imminent. All right, so I'm going to be offering tonight three simple techniques. These come. This whole lesson comes from mindful self compassion, the mindful self compassion work of Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer. We're going to be um, working with three simple techniques for meeting difficult emotions that that are self compassionate. Because we all have techniques for meeting difficult emotions. We know about distracting. We know about numbing out, maybe just watch a bunch of TV or eat some food or drink some alcohol or all the different kinds of things we do, go online shopping, scrolling through social media. We have a lot of ways to manage difficult emotions. What we know, though, is that when we're not meeting difficult emotions, um, not meeting them with kindness, they actually stay more chronically in our system. When we learn how to begin to turn toward rather than away from, turn toward with kindness and care, the emotion has an opportunity to move through, not reactively, but just because of the law of impermanence. It can move through. It's not being held in place by our avoidance. So these are ways to meet difficult emotions with self-compassion. Um, what's what's interesting though, it's a little bit of a catch-22, is that we're not actually using these in order to move the difficult emotions through. Although it this does actually help with that. That's actually not why. We're learning to meet difficult emotions with compassion because it's a kinder, more relational way to be with difficulty. Thich Nhat Hanh has a beautiful metaphor for this. He says, when the, when the good parent is standing in the kitchen stirring soup and the child is asleep in the other room and the parent hears the child crying, ideally the parent will be able to turn off the stove, put down the spoon, leave the kitchen, go to the other room and hold the child. The holding of the child is simply an expression of care. And even if in that moment, it doesn't calm the child down, when we're repeatedly turning toward pain in this way, we're creating a kind of a field of resilience, a field of, like I said, I've got my own back. I hear, I care, I respond. And the sense, the kind of the overall sense of being held by benevolence that compassion can create is really powerful and allows us to show up for life and for each other much more consistently. So these three techniques are called 
labeling emotions, just asking very simply, what is this emotion? The first one. The second one is finding emotions in your body. Where do I feel it most strongly? And then the third is called soften, soothe, allow, which is caring and comforting. And what we're doing with these with these practices is we're breaking down difficult emotions into manageable parts and then holding these parts in ourselves in loving awareness. Labeling emotions. Um, the phrase that goes with that is name it to tame it. And you know, it's so cool to me that 2,600 years ago, the Buddha was saying, when we're present with things, we have less suffering. And then fast forward 2,600 years with our fancy fMRIs and neuroscience is showing the precise same thing. So name it to tame it, naming or labeling difficult emotions helps to disentangle or unstick from them. So when we say, this is anger, fear is arising, we can usually feel some emotional freedom or some space around the feeling. So we move from being really identified with the feeling up to a different part of the brain where we're sitting as the compassionate witness to the feeling. It's there. We're less entangled with it. David Cresswell and colleagues in 2007 discovered that when we label difficult emotions Activity in the amygdala, brain structure that registers danger, becomes less active and less likely to trigger a stress reaction in the body. And most people don't believe it. Like, like when, when scientists survey people, they say, what do you think happens when you name a difficult emotion? And most people say, it gets worse we're really very deeply conditioned to use avoidance and denial. But what actually happens when we name it and label it is we have a little bit more um, control, a little bit more understanding about what's going on, less enveloped. And how we label emotions is very important. As mammals, we deeply hear and feel tone of voice including our own, including the internal tone of voice. So learning to speak to ourselves kindly, like, oh, this is anxiety, rather than, oh, this is anxiety. Really different. So that's labeling emotions. That's the first one. The second one, mindfulness of emotion in the body. And again, um, there's a little phrase that goes with this. So for labeling emotions, it's name it and you tame it. For mindfulness of emotions in the body, the phrase is feel it and you heal it. When we can bring non-judgmental awareness to these emotions as they as the body is, manifesting them 
we bring in a healing energy. So emotions have a mental component, they're stories, and they have a physical component. So for example, when we're angry, we spend a lot of time in our minds, justifying our position, planning what we will say or what we should have said. And we also feel physical tension, typically in the abdomen, as the body prepares for a fight. And I just think of the last time you felt anger or frustration. Kind of armoring that goes on. It's more difficult to manage a challenging emotion by changing our thoughts rather than by exploring the physical component because thoughts are very impermanent and we usually can't hang on to them long enough to transform them. But the body's pretty slow moving, for better or for worse. Emotions move much more slowly than thoughts. And so when we can locate and anchor our emotions in the body or find where the emotion is located in the body, we can be present for noticing as the difficult emotion starts to change. It, like it can initially be like, say, for me, I usually feel it from the belly up to the, the bottom of the throat, and I can maybe feel some contraction or tightness. And as I'm present with it, maybe there's heat and some movement and actually can witness in real time the changing of the emotion. And difficult emotions change even more when we establish a loving, accepting relationship to them. So that brings us to this third aspect of these three practices. So there's labeling emotions, um, locating them in the body. And then the third is called soften, soothe, allow. And this is a compassionate response to difficult emotions. The ones once we've located them in the body. So softening the body is physically compassionate. Well, just like deliberately relaxing around whatever we've noticed in the body. It's a physically compassionate thing to do. And then soothing ourselves with words and language and touch, soothing touch, is emotionally compassionate. So that soften, soothe, and then allow, allowing the emotions to be there rather than mentally fighting them or denying them or rationalizing them, but just allowing them is mentally compassionate. Just putting down the story and just being with. There's so much kindness in that. Okay, so... That's what we're going to spend the rest of tonight practicing. I want to take a moment, though, um, and ask both the people here in the monastery and the people online, if you have any questions or thoughts, um, any anything that's up as I've described the, these practices. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm Veera from India. Namaste. Yes, just a moment, yes, Veera. Just a moment, Can you Veera. make him louder? Is there... Okay. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Veera. Yeah, thank you. This is a beautiful way to uh, uh, hold my body compassionately. Yeah, thank you so much for this. Yeah, I'm curious to know that when we tend to this uh, uh, three way of holding ourselves in the difficult emotions, um, you know, um, I, I sense the mind keep coming and it keeps uh, uh, dragging us back into the head not allowing us to slip into the body. So, yeah. Um, how do we go back to the body and complete this Yeah, naming, feeling, and soothing stages? Yes. Wonderful question. Thank you. So, um, let me say it back to you, Vera, make sure I understand. So, you're, you're say you notice that, you know, in the invitation to go to the body that the inclination or the habit is to go back up to the head and back to thoughts. And so the question is, how do we really drop into the body? Does that sound right? Yeah, because the, the nature of the difficult emotions is always find comfortable in mind. It never comes yeah. in the body. And, you know, so how could we unstuck from head and, and slip into the body uh, innocently? And, uh, yeah, it's not easy. It's, it's much difficult. Right. It's a great, it's a great inquiry. Yeah. You know, to me, it's very similar to our mindfulness practice, where often a, a sitting practice will be simply about, uh, we sit with the present moment for a breath or a half a breath. And then the mind, which, which is very compelling, the thoughts will take us, we go off, we're lost in thoughts for a while. And then we remember, oh, yes, um, coming back to mindfulness, we and then we pop back to the body and the breath. We're with there for another breath and a half, and then off we go again. So that the whole practice is often a practice of returning over and over, which is a honorable, powerful practice. Even if in a half hour sit we return a hundred times, it's still wonderful to begin to teach the mind that we can come back to the present moment. And in a similar way here, it's it's about that incredible patience that we have to cultivate with our habits to get lost in thought and come back again and again into feeling the body. It helps to have an anchor. So um, with the body, depending on what your posture is, how you're sitting, it can be the soles of the feet, the back body on the chair, if you're lying down the back on the couch or the bed, but coming back to something over and over again, and then from there exploring. It's also okay when we come into the body and there's a lot of numbness when there's, um, you know, like I'm in, I want to come down into my body. I bring my awareness down there and I don't feel very much. That's very normal and it's totally okay. And we can just say, okay, I don't feel very much at all, but if I wiggle my fingers, I can feel my hands. And so we just come back to the hands, you know, and just slowly and with patience coming back over and over again. So with that general instruction, I also will be interested to maybe ask you again, Vera, after we do this practice, 
how it was for you because um, this practice is specifically invoking a difficult situation and then dropping into the body. And it'll be interesting to hear, you know, how much was, how much were you being called back up into thought and how much were you in the body? And either way is fine. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, there's a little leading question to it is all this mindfulness step that we've discussed or something to do with the mind, you know, naming, yeah. feeling. I know we always make this chartering box to talk by putting a words to it. And, you know, is in, in the mind activity, it's not a body activity. So what if, if I just do a somatic or body movement and just not do anything in the mind, but just be in the body? I mean, do you have any, I know it's a radically different, uh, innocent question to ask you, but if I if I don't use the mind at all, cal without calling it as mindful or whatever, but just got get into the body and see, yeah, this is this. There's a sensation, there's a stuckness. So would that be possible that way? Yes, absolutely. And we can very skillfully use the mind to name what we're noticing, and and that way the mind and the body are are uh, in concert. So for example, when I'm noticing my breath, I can name rise, fall, rise, fall, then I'm using the mind to name what's being perceived with awareness. Did that, was that what you were asking? Yeah, my question is just not to engage in mind when we are doing it. Yeah, uh, when that's possible, and it can be very possible, then that then that's wonderful. And when it's not possible, then we can bring the mind in. Sometimes a movement practice can be more helpful too, like a walking practice um, can really help with being more in the body and less in the mind uh, or yoga. So um, you can experiment and see. Yeah. Thank you, Vera. Thank you. These are important questions. You're welcome. Yeah, I think the moment we want to know uh, and want to know, name it, that's where the mind comes in and takes over. And then our innocence and like childlike uh, slipping into the body. In fact, I wish to live, you know, as if I am headless. I don't have a head and I just live in the body that's like good. a child and child, you know, I don't need to worry that I'll fall there and, you know, I'll injure there. Nothing. I mean, I'm just uh, trusting the world, mm -hmm. trusting the earth and trusting this five elements slipping into it like a child and see what happens. That's great. Beautiful. Thank you. And I see here that you were asking what time this ends. It ends at 9 p.m. Pacific time or midnight Eastern. <laughs> and when we start it, uh, and I, I've not got the start time also, please. It's 8 p.m. Pacific time, is it? Excuse me? What time we start this? It's, is it a oh, weekly we started practice? at 7.30 Pacific time. Weekly practice, is it? Daily. Not understanding your question. Is it a weekly practice or a daily oh, practice? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. I'm not here every week. I co-lead this and we have guest teachers too. Um, but yes, we meet every Thursday from 7.30 to 9 Pacific time. Okay, thank you.
Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. Okay, let us go into practice. Ah. So a reminder that we're not actually trying to manipulate emotions um, or experience to make emotions go away, but we're, we're working with being with emotions in a validating and supportive way. So find a comfortable enough position, sitting or lying down. And close your eyes and take some relaxing breaths. If it's comfortable enough, join me in placing your hand on your heart or another soothing place for a few moments to remind yourself that you're here and you're worthy of kindness. Let yourself recall a mild to moderately difficult situation that you're facing in your life right now. Maybe you made a mistake or you're worried about accomplishing a task or just feel very stressed out about something. Don't choose a very difficult problem or a trivial problem. Choose a problem that can generate a little stress in your body when you think of it. Clearly visualize a situation. If it's helpful, you can think about who was there, what was said, what happened or what might happen. If a situation doesn't easily come to mind, you're not along with that. And you can follow along with the practice anyway, and just, just trying on these different practices so that they're familiar and available for another time. Also, at any point, it's perfectly fine to stop the practice, open your eyes, and just come into mindfulness of breath or something more neutral. So we're calling a mild to moderately difficult situation. If possible. And as you relive this situation, notice if any emotions arise within you. 
And if so, seeing if a label for an emotion comes up, a name. For example, anger, sadness, frustration, confusion. Here, guilt. If you're having many emotions, seeing if you have a name for the strongest emotion associated with the situation. And now repeating the name of the emotion to yourself in a gentle, understanding voice, as if you were validating for a friend what they were feeling. That's anxiety. That's grief. Now moving into mindfulness of emotion in the body. So expanding your awareness to your body as a whole. Recalling the difficult situation again. And scan your body for where you feel it most easily. In your mind's eye, sweeping your body from head to toe, stopping where you can sense a little tension or discomfort. And just feel what's feelable in your body right now, nothing more. And if you can, please choose a single location in your body where the feeling expresses itself most strongly, perhaps as a point of muscle tension, an achy feeling, or a heartache. And in your mind, inclining gently toward that spot. Now moving to soften, soothe, allow. So softening into that location in your body. Inviting the muscles to soften a bit. Letting them relax. As if in warm water.
softening, softening, softening. Remember that we're not trying to change the feeling, we're just holding it in a tender way. If you wish, just softening a little around the edges. And now, soothing yourself because of this difficult situation, if you wish, placing your hand over the part of your body that feels uncomfortable and just feeling the warmth and gentle touch of your hand. Perhaps imagining warmth and kindness flowing through your hand into your body. Maybe even thinking of your body as if it were the body of a beloved child. Soothing. 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 And are there some comforting words that you might need to hear? And if so, imagine you had a friend who was struggling in the same way. What would you say to your friend? I'm so sorry you feel this way. I care deeply about you. Can you offer yourself a similar message? It's hard to feel this. May I be kind to myself. And if you need, feel free to open your eyes whenever you wish or let go of the exercise and just feel your breath. And finally, allowing the discomfort to be there, making room for it, releasing the need to make it go away. And allowing yourself to be as you are in this moment, just like this. Softening, soothing, allowing. Now letting go of the practice and focusing on your body as a whole. Allowing yourself to feel whatever you feel and to be exactly as you are in this moment.
a moment to settle. Okay, so I'm going to invite, I guess because of time, I'll just invite our larger groups to share as a whole um, what was your experience of the exercise. So there were these components of, of labeling the emotion. Did you notice a change when you simply found a name for the emotion? What happened when you explored your body for physical sensation associated with the emotion? The softening, soothing, allowing. Yeah, so anybody here at the hall or online, if someone here, Jane. Yeah, I realized that what my head was telling me was the emotion that I was feeling was not actually the emotion that was going on. Uh-huh. And so that was really helpful. Yeah, a little insider clarity. So when you saw that your head wasn't telling you that quite the right label for the emotion, did you change the, did you, did you find a more accurate label? Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it moved from sort of overall like fear, overwhelm, disempowerment to anger. Great. That's very significant. Mm. And then what did you notice? What happened then for you as you were naming it anger? It felt easier. Mm -hmm. That's great. More manageable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for bringing that in. So that mindfulness has that capacity to really clarify and there can be some freedom in that. Yeah. Thank you. Others. Yes. You're in the hall. Thank you, Phil. We have this, um, I don't know if people can see online, but we have this, rock star tech help named Phil. He's behind the scenes. <laughs> okay. Um, my situation, there's probably three emotions mm -hmm. that arose. And one of them I was clear about it was frustration. But um, the other two, I was, I mean, I knew it's a, it has to do with aging and not being able to do what I used to do. Yeah. I play piano and uh -huh. um, I can't play fast anymore and I can't coordinate. And so, and I'm taking lessons, but, and so I'm trying to accept, okay, I'm 72. I can still play, but not with the same dexterity, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's frustration yeah. and there's grief. I think, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but then I got lost in my head trying to, to analyze what, are, 
you know, it's easy to go down a rabbit hole. I tried to find it in my body. Great. And I ate too much for dinner. So I'm... <laughs> There's all that sensation. Yes. Yeah. The pit of my stomach is like not happy. Yeah. But it may not be happy because I'm frustrated about the aging process, but yeah. it may not be happy because I ate too much. Right. So, <laughs> but I guess I kind of know my own, the own, my own answer. If I don't, if I do this exploration and there's not a big shift or a big aha this time, oh, just accept that it's mm -hmm. okay. It's okay. And yeah, I can revisit it another time. And it's, I mean, it's just a good practice to get under your belt for mm -hmm. a variety of situations. That's so. right. That's right. Um, people online, did you hear, did you hear everything that was said? Yes. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's right. The, these practices are worthy even when there is an insight or a haws or shifts. It, it, we can think of it like planting a garden and sometimes there's like blooms and sometimes there's even instant blooms, but most of the time we do the work and then later more clarity comes or more insight or some shift that's really useful. But it seems to me what you described that you, 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 you had a very clear situation of, of, you know, not being able to play piano as quickly as you have in the past as one aspect of what you're, calling forth due to aging, then you were able to name the emotion as frustration. And you knew there are other emotions lurking there too. Grief, maybe some other things. Um, and trying to feel it in the body, but then there's there's sensation and it's not clear whether this is, you know, a stomach ache from eating too much dinner or emotion. I think that is actually that fabulous investigation. I do. I think, and, and as we go in, we can begin more and more to discern, oh yeah, this is, this is um, my tummy being too full. And this other thing here, this is emotion. And it just takes repeated visits. Yeah. And that's what we're all learning to do with our mindfulness practice. Um, and like you said, these repeated visits pay off. Once we learn sort of the palette of the practice. So here we have naming emotions, feeling it in the body, soften, soothe, allow. There's really like five components. And we learn the choices, the colors. And then in a moment, it can be like, wait, what emotion is this right now? And like the other person was saying, oh, wait, wait, this isn't overwhelm and disempowerment. This is actually anger or, oh yeah, this is frustration. And then underneath the frustration, there's grief which you actually did get to. Yeah. And being, and simply being present, having, having the knowledge of the practice and then utilizing it, simply being present creates so much more space for these feelings to move through. And it's really great. Great work. Thank you. Okay. Maybe one more. If anybody else wants to share about how that practice was. What did you notice? Yes, you're in the hall. Thank you, Phil. 
Well, what came to mind for me was um, recently I was part of this project and I felt like somebody in the vicinity there was interfering and making things harder. And anyway, I felt a lot of anger mm -hmm. at this person. And as I was thinking about this, I realized, wait, I don't want to give up my anger. Mm -hmm. I realized my anger helped me, I thought, feel more righteous, feel like I, I needed this anger, this fire in order to deal with this person. But yeah. in the situation I was remembering, I really was not skillful. And mm -hmm. um, actually, the anger, I think, my anger got in my way. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and actually, in a couple of days, I'm going to see this person again for this continuing project. And I think this all helped me kind of, you know, identify the anger and realize it's, I can still be skillful. That's right. I can be skillful with, not that anger is always bad, but in this situation, I can be skillful without all the anger that was really an obstacle for me. But it was very interesting here tonight for me to like get this like, wow, I don't want to give this up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's beautiful process. Thank you so much for sharing that. Did everybody hear that? Okay. All right. Thanks. So, um, so yeah, first noticing that there's anger second, noticing, not wanting to give it up. And that's legitimate. Can I just say anger has a place, you know, anger helps us discern where, you know, something's afoot that we need to be dealing with. Anger is an often appropriate human emotion it can become uh reactive challenging uh, overwhelming it can become uh you know like the coal that we're holding in our own hands to throw at someone else and to the degree that it is helping us discern what's going on and become clear about what kind of actions to take it's useful and and we're, we're, we never ask ourselves to give up our anger when it's serving a useful purpose. It's when it starts to eat away at us and be no longer useful. And, you know, the boundaries have already been set and we're still enraged and we're the ones burning up. That's when it's maybe useful to begin to set down anger. But I love what you said about, you know, you're realizing that you're going to see this person in a few days you have the discernment, you know how to act skillfully, the anger was actually not feeling good. So maybe there's a way in which we can move from action from anger, extracting from the anger, the discernment, and then it's action from compassion, from wanting the situation to, to turn out as, as well as it possibly can. And that way we're not causing as much harm to ourselves and others. And I think that's so beautiful. And this is the beauty of, of mindfulness and compassion that we go in just not knowing, just with curiosity and some simple practices of, of noticing and bringing in care. And then things shift and all of these new kind of understandings can arise. Thank you so much. Okay, we are... Um, one minute to time. So let us dedicate the merit. For those who don't know, um, this is a 
way to close Buddhist gatherings that we take merit means um, good energy and dedicate means generosity. So we basically dedicate or offer any of good energy, any um, kindness or skillfulness that we may have um, cultivated tonight collectively for the benefit of all beings everywhere. Remember that we not see any peace that we seek for ourselves also serves the whole. May all beings everywhere be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings everywhere know peace and the causes of peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.